Ora. In today's podcast, Phil and I are discussing more about the potential merits and the clinical applications around the gut microbiome, a huge topic and one that we can only just get underway today with some starting points. But how can phytotherapy help us here and what herbs may provide us with the most clinical benefits for use for client care? Join us today to learn more about the medicinal actions of the relevant herbs here. Hi, Phil. Kia ora. Hi, Shelley. <laughs> Welcome once more again back to our podcast. Good to be here. Thank you. And I'm sure everyone else agrees that's listening with us today. So as we launch into our first lot of questions for the Herb Talk podcast for today, we are talking about the gut microbiome and the brain-gut axis. First question, what herbs come first and foremost to your mind when you hear gut microbiome? I think firstly for the subject we need to acknowledge or just remind ourselves that probably in the case of all medicinal plants, their therapeutic actions are intrinsically dependent on um, bacteria that live in the gut, the gut microbiome, because you know most of them they exist in a glycosidal form and whereas it's the A-glycon, the non-sugar component of those glycosides that tends to modulate receptors and, and do the, the pharmacological actions that, that we know our plants mainly for. So, um, you know, the bacteria in the gut, it's their job to break down the, that glycoside to release the A-glycone, um, be it a flavonoid, an anthocyanin, a saponin, or, or many other types of polyphenolic compounds. So... Um, Hence, it's a two-way relationship. It's not what herbs do to the gut microbiome, it's what the gut microbiome does to, to plants. And so um, indirectly, the, the health of the gut microbiome, the balance of it, will affect the, uh, the efficacy of, of our plants. You'll get more bang for your buck if you've got a healthy gut microbiome. You'll get more absorption and, and actions. Um, but yeah, re- we're, we're learning a lot about this subject all the time. Um, in fact... I think there's been about 10,000 papers on the gut microbiome published in the last 12 months. And despite all that research, all that activity and all that sudden interest in the last two, three years in the subject, we still don't really have much of a clue as to what specific actions most of our medicinal herbs do to the microbiome. Um, So it's not easy to answer that question, but I guess... Possibly, and maybe even probably, most of our medicinal plants do have some modulation of, of different species that live within the, the gut um, and other parts of our body. You know, the, the microbiome exists not only in the gut, but in, in all of our other orifices and on our skin and uh, within our lungs and, and all sorts of areas. So, um, but yeah, we are now seeing some really interesting stuff from many animal studies, and we know that. If you take green tea regularly or bicol skullcap tea regularly, you can see beneficial changes in the gut microbiome. Um, and those changes are largely an increased diversity in the, in the range of species, which is always going to be good. Uh, biodiversity is important, not just out there with plants and nature, but also within our gut. Unless it's a, a pathogen, of course, you don't want them. Um, but, you know, generally an increased biodiversity number of species is a good thing. And also uh, we're seeing positive changes with those two herbal teas in the relative abundance of particular beneficial species. So um, that's that's good. Um, we know that a lot of catechins and insoluble fibre, you know, like prebiotics, they contribute to a healthy gut microbiome. So plants in general, a plant-based diet is, is conducive to that. 
Um, and we also know that supplementing with various tannins um, also produces, you know, ha- has a kind of prebiotic-like effect and can um, help with bacterial uh, bacterial diversity and also amino acid metabolism. So it's quite likely that some of our, our native plants that are often very rich in tannins have beneficial effects on the gut microbiome. But, you know, it's the antioxidant, the disease preventative, the uh, immune modulatory um, and, and digestive system actions of many of our municipal plants, I think, do relate to the gut microbiome. I mean, echinacea is, is another example, I guess, where, um, you know, we know it works in many, many different ways. Um, and we now know that the polysaccharides in echinacea, even though they're not that absorbed from the gastrointestinal tract, they're too large, um, they can, you know, lead to microbiome changes, those polysaccharides. And in ducks, for instance, that are immune compromised, um, oral ingestion of echinacea extracts helps to reverse that that uh, state and, and makes them healthier. So, um, And we also know that echinacea, as, as with probably every plant, um, has its own symbiotic relationship with a whole lot of microbes in nature. You know, there's things called endophytes, which are fungi and bacteria that um, live in close association with the plant, on the plant, under the plant, in the soil, next to the rhizomes. Um, you know, it's a very symbiotic and very complex two-way um, crosstalk between those bugs and, and the plants. So, um, and, and I think there's a lot of analogies there between, you know, that relationship the plants have with their endophytes and what us living organisms, i.e. humans, have with our own microbiome. And we're, we're just touching the edge as to, you know, what benefits we can achieve. But generally, um, I think we're going to see a lot more research in this area. Certainly, yes, and it's up and coming, isn't it? It's very prevalent, gut microbiome. We're learning that, of course, it's not just the brain-gut axis, it's the skin axis, it's the liver axis, it's the immune system axis. There's no end to how it interconnects with us, our gut microbiome. And as you so clearly stated, full biodiversity is key, isn't it, in amongst from ecology, soil ecology to our gut ecology, right? Yep. The more diversity we have in there, we know that breeds for a better immune system or a better, you know, mood and brain gut access or, you know, all the other various pathways that connect into our gut, which is everything (laughs) that we can possibly think of and more, I'm sure. So a huge question to start with, um, but thank you for all that information around what could be and what might be there. So tell us, what herbs are used here in your own clinical experience with beneficial results? So the first one was such a big question that allowed us to kind of get into the subject a bit, <laughs> yeah. a little doorway into it. Uh, so in your own experience, what, what do you find here is beneficial for, for helping the gut microbiome? Yeah, um, I think the short answer is I don't really know. I think, you know, we, we're really just learning about specific effects on the microbiome of, of many of our medicinal plants. Um but, you know, when patients present and uh, due to various, you know, uh, symptoms or uh, the case history taking and, and, you know, hearing more about their diet in particular and their lifestyle and, and the, the illness that they have, which is generally a chronic illness, um, you can always benefit by considering the gut microbiome, by, by at least thinking, hmm, what's going on there? And if their diet is rubbish, um, the gut microbiome is probably unhealthy. You know, high-fat diets lead to a poor gut microbiome. And so, you know, lifestyle factors, too much alcohol, 
um, too much stress, all the rest of it doesn't doesn't lead to a healthy gut microbiome. So the herbs that, or the medicinal plants that we use to to address those issues or that imbalance really depends obviously as always on the individual patient and his or her presentation. Um, but I guess to kind of simplify some of my favourites, um, I, I quite like using whole fresh plant dandelion, Tarexicum officinalis, um, for people who uh, don't necessarily eat that well or they have you know, a little bit of weakness, intrinsic weakness in their digestion. Um, and I was taught about that plant by Heinz Elster, um, who taught me in the UK many, many years ago. Um, as being an apparent, as gently stimulating um, the bowels when things are a little bit sluggish there. And, um, you know, we all, all know that dandelion root is good for the liver, dandelion leaves are good for the kidneys, but um, they're both generally taken in a dried form. But if you take the whole plant fresh, um, you get more inulin, you get, you know, which is, of course, a good prebiotic. It, it fosters healthy uh, microbiomal growth, um, and you will get some overarching benefit on the bowel, I think. Um, so that's, I guess, one of my favourites, and one of the benefits of that as well, of fresh dandelion, is it doesn't taste yuck, it tastes quite sweet because of the inulin and other sugars that it contains, so it can help with compliance as well. But, you know, there's a whole lot of others, um, chicory, fenugreek, globata choke, um, they're all kind of prebiotic-type plants that contain, you know, a lot of um, inulin or or other, you know, secondary metabolites that are conducive to a healthy gut microbiome. So, you know, fenugreek, you would think of perhaps if somebody had diabetes or pre-diabetes type 2. Um, and uh, globe artichoke, if their liver was, you know, a little bit below par. So um, th- there are a whole lot, but I think we're going to keep finding out more and more, definitely. Of course, we're just on the cusp, aren't we, of finding out more. <laughs> Really, not the other way around, of course. Uh, so we're just beginning to open up this huge story about the gut microbiome, aren't we? It's been going on for a few years, but in regards of knowing more and learning how, just how much it affects other systems in the body, we're only just discovering that, aren't we? It's a vast subject and one that we probably won't cover in either of our lifetimes. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Completely by any means, but all you can do is just touch on what phytotherapy may be of use that we already suspect may be great candidates for this. Yep. So the berberine herbs, so we often get this question a lot, just, just as a technical question um, from practitioners and clinics um, in New Zealand, barberry, coptis, or even oregano grape, uh, Oregon grape, what place do these have and where do they seem to help most? I mean, obviously... We take the berberine herbs a lot because we're cleaning up, if you like, or, or weeding, right? It's not so much a reseeding um, point of view, but we're trying to get rid of infection or that's antimicrobial, right, and it's, its course and its treatment that you're wanting to get from its effect. So where, where do these seem to help most? Do you do follow that path, Phil, or you have other ideas or other areas there? Yeah, um, berberine is, is a really interesting phytochemical and there are products now, particularly in China, that are, that are pure berberine. It's been used as an isolated phytochemical in quite a few um, yes. conditions as well, I, I notice. Um, but yeah, we, we need to firstly, I think, acknowledge that berberine is an alkaloid. Um, and as with most alkaloids, it's very bitter tasting. I mean, hydrastis, uh, coptis, berberis, all of them taste pretty bitter, don't they? Um, and as with other bitters, you know, bitters you get in, in um, isothionates and, and terpenes, they tend to be bitter compounds as well, com- compounds. 
they stimulate bitter receptors, and not only does that stimulate overall digestive activity, but um, it does um, that stimulation of a whole range of different bitter receptors that we're now discovering and, and demarcating. Um, that can lead to a whole lot of metabolic changes, like you know, uh, improved blood glucose metabolism, um, improved immunity, innate immunity, and even neuroprotective effects. So. Um, you know, berberine as a bitter um, can definitely do all of that in, in animal studies and in vitro studies and possibly clinically as well if you have enough of it. So Coptis, I think, is the best source of berberine in terms of levels. It's also the most sustainable. Um, but, you know, Darwin's barberry, which is an oxious weed in Aotearoa, I think also is very under-acknowledged and needs more investigation. Um, but, yeah, we've got clinical studies for uh, berberis containing, uh, berberine containing species for ulcerative colitis, especially um, where we've had good results and, and that has been correlated with changes in the gut microbiome. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really, um, it's a diverse herb. It's used for infections, as you say, uh, golden seal and, and all berberine containing species, but um, increasingly autoimmune and uh, other conditions as well, like diabetes and and uh, yeah, and um, glucose metabolism. So I know our subject here today is the gut microbiome, but just touching a bit more on the berberine herbs, people are using them for infections generally, aren't they? It's not just particular for the gut microbiome. Yep. It's, you know, they have a world of use outside of that as well, just to be clear to everyone listening today that they are applicable in other situations, right, where there is. Yeah, and I guess the mechanism of action of that antibacterial property and antifungal, because berberine is also antifungal, um, may not be just simply a direct action. It may be indirectly modulated through changes in the gut microbiome because, you know, all those bacteria within the gut, they they produce, uh, they they have bactericidal and um, and, and uh, antibacterial properties themselves. Um, it's, it's what they do to compete with their neighbours. And, uh, you know, that's how we discovered penicillin. It's, it's a mould that was found growing, you know, yes. um, on on another mould sort of thing. <laughs> so, um, it, well, too, was a natural origin at some point. Obviously, it's a different story now, but, but yeah. that's how it was discovered. Yeah, so berberine, you know, may well modulate, uh, help different species of the gut microbiome and, and also directly deplete others, and that may be an indirect mechanism of its overall antimicrobial action. We've yet to really find that out, I think. Yeah, another exciting challenge ahead, <coughs> right? <Yep. laughs> when it comes to endless. the world of phytotherapy, it is an endless quest for more. Uh, just like e everything, I guess, if we really inspect it a bit more. The big subjects of IBS and or IBD, we know that chamomile, peppermint, globe uh, seem particularly useful here. The berberine herbs, as you said, there tends to be that gut microbiome altered state, uh, disturbed state, more non-beneficial than beneficial that seem to interfere there with especially IBD uh, where there is chronic inflammation, right, that, that's been driven and largely by the proposed theory is by an interrupted and disturbed gut microbiome. So what, what, how does this interlink with the gut microbiome and what herbs may be of use here or that you've used with some success and some great results? Yeah, I mean, our bodies um, are in constant contact with a whole lot of uh, potentially toxic and, and infectious substances, um, and a lot of those can be quite allergenic if we don't have a really good um, gastrointestinal mucosa. 
and um, you know so-called leaky gut, which is um, basically uh, just destruction or damage of that um, of that barrier that's created by mucin and a whole lot of bugs together. They collaborate to create that um, endothelial barrier within the gastrointestinal tract. Um, where that isn't patterned or isn't isn't functioning well, you do get leaky gut, and and you can get allergens uh, lead to autoimmune conditions such as inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, or Crohn's, um, or you can get uh, generally a milder syndrome which is irritable bowel, and that you know is variable in its presentation, um, but definitely lifestyle related, both of them, particularly stress related, um, and uh, particularly with. Um, irritable bowel, I think the leaky gut, the contribution of that is is major. So again, the leaky gut, so-called leaky gut, is is probably um, partly or largely a result of, of a, a dysbiosis within the gut microbiome, you know, an imbalance. And that can be because of poor diet, it can be because of too much stress, it can be for, you know, lack of sleep, all sorts of contributory factors. So um there are many herbs that we can use. Um, kawa kawa is, is definitely one of my favourites for irritable bowel, and in fact um, it contains various amides that we know do modulate uh, gastrointestinal absorption and probably help with you know the, the leaky gut, just as other Piperaceae family plants do, like black pepper. You know, piperine enables things to be better absorbed, um, so does piperidine and other um, amides found within kawa kawa, and that, that was German research four or five years ago. Um, but it also contains lignans, kawakawa contains lignans and, and many lignans can act as prebiotics. So, you know, that might be one of the main mechanisms of kawakawa's efficacy in leaky gut or in, in irritable bowel, um, as well as its associated antispasmodic properties, I think. Um, but, you know, peppermint um, and uh, aniseed and all the carminatives as well um, increasingly, or, or we're just starting to unpeel that they also can can make changes to the, the gut microbiome. That could well be one of their mechanisms in I, IBS. Um, inflammatory bowel disease is, is generally more serious, um, but yes, it is. It is as you said. The um, it's that gut microbiome and brain access, the gut brain access that that is involved in that, just like it is in, in IBS. So, um, and there's different methods of that two-way communication between the, the gut and, and the brain and the brain and the gut. We have a second brain in our gut. That's how some people say. Um, but, you know, it can be directly through um, chemical transmitters. You know, it can be short-chain fatty acids that are modulating gut microbiome activity. It can be uh, nerves of cells, neural pathways um, through the vagus nerve and others, or it can be microglia and, and immune messengers, immune system messengers, that immune dysregulation might be triggered by um, dysbiosis in the gut microbiome. So, you know, these two-way relationships, what's etiological and what's an outcome, is still, you know, not really known, I think. And, and possibly it's always going to be two-way. It's not you address one and then you solve the other. Um, again, hence the, the holistic and symbiotic approach that us medical herbalists need to take when treating treating patients with these chronic types of conditions. It's often multifactorial, isn't it, an origin for, for a lot of conditions, isn't it? You can have a, obviously prioritise a few contributing factors, but often it's more than one, isn't it? It's not as simple as yep. solving one thing. It's a... Yep, 
Definitely. lifestyle and you know there's nothing new for our listeners today it's lifestyle diet it, it's the whole picture of things which is ultimately what we're trying to achieve in our outcome isn't it yeah. we're not trying to put on a band-aid we're trying to heal the wound that lies underneath and to some yeah. extent or begin that process yeah. and in all of these conditions you know inflammatory bowel um, disease conditions and IBS um, definitely have a, a strong nervous system component to them so you do need to work on it from a physical, more physiological, gut-focused perspective, but also you do need to um, really delve into stress and lifestyle factors as well. Of course, we know that, as as you've said, uh, the little that we do know, as we, as we learn more, we realise how little we do know. That is, that is always the way forward, uh, but at the same time very encouraging in a different sense because that encourages us to research right and to, to gain more knowledge about these subjects. Absolutely. Is that uh, the vagus nerve is the main responsible channel for between the brain gut and the gut, right? So we know that it's not only the gut microbiome that's travelling up and chatting, if you like, to put it very simplistically, um, to those neurons and neurotransmitters, but most of our neurotransmitters are made in our gut, right? Over 90% of serotonin is is made in our gut. Yep, that's where a lot of it exists. Yep. So that that obviously that that interconnecting point is huge for mood, brain, and gut, isn't it? Yep. They don't live without each other, like you said. It's it's an absolute two way street. Yep, definitely. Mood and the gut microbiome. As we sort of wrap up with our beautiful last question for today, that we have here, your thoughts on the best herbs for use here in clinic? I know we can only just touch on it because it is such a huge subject, but obviously those two are often intellect. Where you see IBD, you see, you know, increased rates of depression or mood, altered states of mood. What, what in your experience, Phil, are, are the herbs that you tend to use here or have had, you know, great success with in clinic? Um, yeah, with, with depression, if it's clinical depression um, that we're, we're dealing with, I always think of St John's Walk first. Um, unless it's strongly contraindicated, which is extremely rare, um, it's always my first line treatment for patients presenting with depression. Um, and in terms of it's you know the effects of hypericum perforatum on the gut microbiome, there's not a lot out there as yet. Um, I think we will find more as we go um, because like all of our plants, it's not just an antidepressant, it's also an immune modulator and it's traditionally used for a whole range of conditions. Um, and one of the adverse events that I was taught early on that about the only adverse event you can sometimes get with large doses of St John's wort is, is mild, um, a mild appearant or a mild laxative action. Um, in fact, I don't think that happens very often at all, but it definitely influences the gut, that's for sure. Um, but, I mean, I think you, some of you know me quite well by now, and I'm, I'm not one to say that this is how these herbs work very often because I really don't know. I think we're, we're always got to be very open-minded about the mechanism or mechanisms of how our medicinal plants work. But almost certainly because of, as you say, Charlene, that uh, gut-brain access, that two-way communication, just like Echinacea or Manuka and, and their own community of endophytes around them, there's bound to be some relationship, some correlation with what goes on in the gut. And we all know, I think, um, that, you know, not just irritable bowel, but other conditions such as, um, you know, stage fright or, uh, you know, exam fright or whatever, um, people, their, their bowels often play up a little bit, you know, have to rush to the bathroom. So um, working on that level is probably how a lot of our antidepressant or mood type herbs work. Um, and lemon balm, um, rosemary, 
um, you know, uh, lion's mane is another one. Um, we definitely have info that, that that one modulates the gut microbiome and it's one of the very few plants apart from St John's Wort where we have some clinical evidence that it might help with mood disorders. So, um, and, and bicol skullcap, as I touched on earlier, I think bicol skullcap definitely does. You know, that's how it's useful in diabetes and, and we have clinical data now on that. You know, some really good influences on specific species of bacteria. And, and bicol skullcap, I think, is also a little bit antidepressant in some people. Um, it's definitely anxiolytic like ordinary skullcap is. So, um, and we know that nuts, eating nuts, uh, particularly walnuts, um, can sometimes help with mood disorders as well. And and what they do in terms of providing, you know, um, good amino acids and prebiotic type um, ingredients, nutritive ingredients for gut microbiome is is definitely um, probably a factor. So, um, yeah, again, the jury's out. Um, we're going to find out more, but uh, there's definitely a strong correlation with um, the gut microbiome and a whole lot of psychological conditions, not just mood disorders, but also schizophrenia. Um, and, and, you know, certain neurodegenerative conditions as well. So really, really interesting stuff. It's, yeah, absolutely right. It's such fascinating stuff. And we could only just scratch the surface today about the gut, the gut microbiome, but hopefully uh, that's given our listeners today something extra and additional to take away to use for in clinic. Thank you, Phil, for being part of today's discussion on the gut microbiome and brain and gut access. Uh, thank you to all our listeners, and we look forward to bringing you more phytotherapy talk in our next Herb Talk podcast. Thanks, Charlene. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Kaikitiano. Kaikitiano. <laughs>